Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Greetings, greetings. Welcome again to the Right Take Podcast. Belated Merry Christmas to you all and Happy New Year's. I am your host, Mark Tapson. My preferred pronouns are truth and reality. Thanks for joining me here at the intersection of politics and culture. You know, arguably the most critical arena of the intersection of politics and culture is education, because it's a battleground for the minds and hearts of our youth. It's a topic that I'm heavily invested in because I have several kids, many of my friends have kids, and I know that the radical left is coming for them. The radical left wants to drive a wedge between children and their parents and grandparents and re-educate them with a wokeness that will be irreconcilable with the traditional morality and worldview of the older generations. That is the left's subversive, even satanic aim to turn our own children against us, just as Chairman Mao did during the Chinese Cultural Revolution of the 60s and 70s, and radicalize them into foot soldiers in the cause of power, political power and cultural power. There have been a lot of good but disturbing articles lately about the state of education in America. Journalist Christopher Rufo, for example, writes often over at City Journal about the ideological indoctrination in the field of education. Everything he writes is a must-read. Then I saw a piece a month or so ago, I think, at realcleareducation.com by Lance Izumi, who is the senior director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research, which noted that recent national student test scores showed a massive decline in learning in reading and math. Now, the left's insistence on school closures during the pandemic played an important role in that slide in test scores, but Izumi writes that another reason for this achievement implosion is, quote, the increasing politicization of classroom instruction, which is reducing rigor and diverting attention from improving students' foundational knowledge and skills. It's leading to weaker standards and lower expectations, unquote. As an example, one California student reported that a teacher at his school told of a class that perfectionism and striving for perfection was part of white supremacy culture. Another of his teachers, quote, made it seem like it was bad to have a good work ethic or to be supportive of meritocracy, unquote. In his school, grades were inflated, low grades were eliminated, late assignments were allowed, and multiple retakes of exams were permitted. In other words, academic rigor simply fell by the wayside because the goal was and is equity, not excellence. That student also observed that to not teach hard work and to not teach a work ethic is going to be disastrous for the kids who kind of cruise along in public schools, he said. And that's true. This is happening across the country. It's being pushed by special interests such as the teachers' unions, which promote the false narrative that all American institutions are shot through with systemic racism and uh, that an awareness of that must be taught in our schools so that kids challenge, quote, the systems of oppression that have harmed people of color, unquote. Last year, the National Education Association, the NEA, even adopted a resolution that would mandate race-based ideological instruction in public schools across the country. The NEA intends to disseminate its own study that, quote, critiques empire 
white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society, unquote. You know, everything for these people, these neo-Marxists, every human interaction centers on power struggles and divides people between the categories of oppressor and oppressed. Confronted by this historically low academic performance, Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, predictably blamed conservatives and Trump-era education policies. That is absurd, as we all know, and the radical witch Randy Weingarten knows it too. She and her leftist cohorts know full well what they are doing with education. They are intentionally dumbing students down and transforming the classroom into social justice training camps to pump out generation after generation of activists who will agitate for far-left causes. That is the goal. My guest coming up at The Right Take is going to shed some light on this very troubling topic of the left's hijacking of American education and how our children and future generations are suffering and will continue to. So please stay with us and don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of the important conversations we are having here at the intersection of politics and culture. If you are concerned at all about the state of education in America today, and you should be because the classroom from pre-K all the way through grad school is where the radical left's fundamental transformation of the United States is rooted and blooms, then you should be reading my friend Larry Sand regularly. Larry is a former classroom teacher, a policy advisor at the Heartland Institute, and the current president of the nonprofit California Teachers Empowerment Network, C10, a nonpartisan, nonpolitical group dedicated to providing teachers and the general public with information about education issues. He is the man to read on education in California, where he and I live, and in America, generally speaking. His op-eds have appeared at the Wall Street Journal, the Weekly Standard, the Los Angeles Times, the Epoch Times, American Greatness, City Journal, and just about everywhere else. Uh, Larry Sand, welcome to the Right Take Podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Larry, you wrote an article recently called College Carnage, in which you noted that our nation's colleges and the students who attend them are in deep trouble. Uh, you mentioned that students are arriving at universities woefully unprepared to take on the academic rigors of upper-level education. And not only are they educationally unprepared, but they don't seem to have the work ethic either to deal with the demands of college. And Meanwhile, at the other end of things, colleges themselves are dumbing down their curricula, partly to, I guess, accommodate these struggling, stu struggling students, but also partly because schools are less about education now than social justice activism. Can you can you talk about this situation and, and the extent of the problem? Well, it, it is a deep problem. I mean, just uh, the, the the pandemic really hurt kids a lot, but there's a and and a lot of so-called experts just bang on that as the only problem, but clearly there's more to it. And um, students are reporting increased in, in ideological indoctrination in the classroom, and that's leading to weaker standards and lower expectations. Um, the one California student reported that a teacher um, at a school told his class that perfection and striving for perfection, quote, was part of the white supremacy culture. 
Another one of his teachers made it clear that it was bad to have a good work ethic and to be supportive of meritocracy. In his school, grades were inflated, low grades were eliminated, late assignments were allowed, and multiple retakes of exams were permitted. In other words, rigor is gone. So, and this is going on in the K through 12 schools when kids, when these kids get into college, they are lost. And do you think this is a result of a push for equity over excellence? Oh, sure. And it, it is, it, it, this isn't just a, an occasional thing. I mean, there was a study done and 62% of, of students reported either being taught in class of, of hear, or hearing from an adult at school that America is a systematically racist country and 69% said they were taught or heard that white people have privilege. This is what they're learning. They're not learning the ABCs and the one, two, threes. They're learning all this um, CRT stuff. And that there's only so many hours in a day that they can learn. And, and they're just learning lies and it's pure and simple indoctrination. And by CRT, you're referring to critical race theory, of course, which is... Uh, uh, yes, I, I, thank you, Mark, for clarifying that, yes. Yeah, no worries. No, it's uh, just, it's been disseminated through our entire educational system all the way now from literally from pre-K on. Uh, they start this, this, uh, this inculcation of a racial consciousness in students all the way down, you know, before kindergarten. Um, and as you said, we can't blame this solely on the COVID shutdowns, although that had a devastating effect on students' learning progress. But there is this politicization of education. Uh, but I guess you could say one of the upsides of the COVID shutdowns is that it made a lot of parents aware. It enlightened many parents who had formerly been kind of ignorant of what was going on in the classroom about the extent to which the curricula are heavily politicized now by this radical left agenda, which includes the teaching of gender ideology and critical race theory and more. Do you think that that enough minds, enough parents' minds are opening up now to the damage that schools are doing to their children that parents will begin to, I, they've begun already to push back against school boards, but do you think that uh, this is really going to help turn the tide so the parents can push back against this racial and gender indoctrination? Or or are school boards and administrations, school administrations, just too impregnable? Well, I mean, in, in the recent election, um, there's a group called Moms for Liberty. Actually, they're, without getting in too specific, there are a lot of parent groups that sprung up as a result of the shutdowns and the advancing of critical race theory. And, and they did quite well um, in the election. I don't know the exact percentages, but a lot of decent conservative people won elections. By the same token, it wasn't a, a, a route, and, and the establishment and the left did fine too. And it's parents can't wait around and hope that a good school board or you know a sympathetic school board is going to be teaching their kids. The parent has to take control of their child's education. They have to. If, if their child is going to be saved, and frankly, not to get melodramatic, but the country is going to go down the tubes unless we do something soon. And homeschooling is really booming now. I believe I read uh, a month or so ago that homeschooling now, uh, that approximately 10% of parents with school-age kids are homeschooling, which is the highest it's ever been. So hopefully that will uh, that will continue. I, as, as my listeners are sick of hearing me say, I homeschool my own kids and also uh, uh, teenagers that are in our homeschooling community. And I think it's just absolutely vital um, to um, 
to take <clears throat> control of your children's education, if it's at all possible, which it is not for all parents. But if, if you can at all make the sacrifice, I urge it. You feel that way about homeschooling? Oh, absolutely. That is the best way to go. That is the very bottom line. And, uh, you know, there's a huge uptick, as you pointed out. But still, I mean, sadly, about 90% of parents don't do it. And in some cases, I guess it's not possible, but parents need to learn more. They don't have to be rocket scientists. There's a ton of information online now. So if you're not very good at algebra, and a lot of adults aren't, you can still teach your kid algebra online. And there's also um, something called learning pods where different parents, it's sort of like a, a group homeschool in a way where, you, and you can send your kid to another parent who might be really good in math and you're really good in English and you can teach that the other family's kids English and, and you can teach, you know, you can switch off in subjects, in other words. And, and yeah, and more parents need to do this. There are a lot of resources. The Homeschool Legal Defense Fund is, is a one-stop shop online and parents need to go there and, learn, you know, you know, you have a, a bunch of kids, Mark, and God bless you. You're homeschooling them and more parents need to do this because, as I said, and I can't stress this enough that, you know, electing school board members is great. But what about the you know school board members that don't get elected? What, you know, what if you're in, in a district where you have all lefties on the school board? and They're, they're touting CRT. That's not going to help your kid much. We all know that politically colleges and schools in general, I guess, but especially colleges lean so far left that they're, they're practically lying on their side. An article in City Journal last month notes that in 1969, college faculties were fairly evenly split politically with about three left of center faculty members to every two that were right of center. But in only about 30 years, by the end of the 20th century, in other words, that ratio had gone to five to one. And then in several more years after that, it went to eight to one, and now it's rising. Uh, the College Fix um, examined seven campuses in different states, six of them red states, and found 33 departments in which not one Republican professor could be identified. Um, how is ideological indoctrination, which has corrupted not only the humanities fields, but also now even the hard sciences and medical schools and legal schools, law schools, how is that indoctrination dumbing us down? Well, very simply, when you're learning so much about equity and race, and we haven't even touched the sex and gender stuff yet, um, there's just less time for, for real real stuff. I mean, the, the goal, in, in sadly now, in what used to be important fields like medicine, is to teach equity. And so when that, as I say, there's only so many hours in a teaching day when you're teaching about equity and you're a racist and, you know, and we need to do this, you know, for more black people. And at the same time, that frankly, they're screwing Asians. You don't have there's just not enough hours in the day to teach what they really need to learn. And I, I dread in about 10 or 15 years what this country is going to look like unless we change things. And I suppose teaching critical thinking skills would not be ideal if what you're trying to do is indoctrinate. <laughs> if you're trying to indoctrinate rather than educate, you then you want to steer them toward uh, political activism as opposed to critical thinking. And that's uh, a huge part of the dumbing down right there. Um, and along the lines of, of critical race theory and, and this obsession with race, that you referred to. What about this 
What about this obsession with race on campus? Schools now seem to be embracing a literal new segregation with their self-segregating on campus and creating, uh, you know, um, student unions for people of color as opposed to student unions for white students. Um, can you expound on that a little about this, uh, you know, this segregation that's taking place in schools? Yeah, well, they're, they're, yeah, segregation is in. It's back in style on many campuses. There was recently a study of 173 public and private colleges and universities conducted by the uh, the Great National Education of Scholars, and it revealed that 43% of them had programs to segregate student housing by race or sexual orientation. 46% had racially segregated orientation programs, and 76 had segregated gradu- graduation ceremonies. And at the same time, and this is really funny, schools conduct racially exclusive anti-racism training sessions. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, Mark. And and you know, when you hear that, when you talk about 76 had segregated graduation ceremonies, George Wallace in his heyday, and he, he eventually, you know, got religion at some point, but in his heyday, when he stood in the, you know, in the schoolroom door and said, you know, no, we haven't come... We, let's say we've gone back to that. We got out of it. Then when integration, you know, became a big deal in the 60s and in the 70s, but now we're going back to segregation. And it's not, you know, the the right wing uh, yokels who are doing it. It's the left wing progressives who are doing it. It's unfathomable. I, I guess the aim is to inculcate this kind of racial consciousness in students and in society at large, and just uh, keep the keep society divided and to rub raw the resentments of the people, as Saul Alinsky used to say, the the, uh, the left wing strategist who wrote um, Rules for Radicals, the famous uh, you know strategy book about uh, revolution. Um, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm glad you brought up old Saul. I, just as an aside, he he was the inspiration for the NEA's going political. The National Education Association used to be called the National Teachers Association. It was founded in, in the mid-1900s. And it was an honest-to-God teachers association. And uh, they found out they were kind of losing share to the American Federation of Teachers, which is part of the A. Havel CIO. So they wanted to compete. So they hired Mr. Olinsky. And, um, and, and it was the worst thing ever for the parents and the children of America. Interesting. I did not know that. Well, you know, Many decades ago, the left realized that uh, they weren't going to be successful by just rampaging in the streets. So they they took their agenda um, from marching in the streets to the long march through the institutions, as they called it, especially education. And you see a lot of uh, uh, former radicals like Bill Ayers, you know, the former weather underground domestic terrorist who was such an influence in the political grooming of Barack Obama. And uh, Bill Ayers is now and has spent the last several decades in the field of education, becoming a highly respected educator, uh, along with his wife, Bernadine Dorn, who was also a, a former weather underground domestic terrorist, uh, because they realized how significant, how important it is to uh, inculcate uh, or indoctrinate the young, younger generations. So they took that fight to the field of education, I guess, like Saul Alinsky did. Yeah, no, they certainly did. And uh, yeah, Bill Ayers, uh, I, well, I mean, we don't need to go into Mr. Ayers' history. Uh, many people who are listening know it. I mean, he was a terrorist, period. And now he's in education. Perfect. It's just, this is what they do. And they're very smart about it. 
and and our side has been very slow in waking up. We're waking up, yeah, but uh, so much damage has been done, and still not enough people have awakened. As I said before, the, the left did okay in school boards. Granted, they, they lost some power, but um, we're still way behind, and we need to catch up in a hurry, I might add. Yes, I think the right has been slow to catch on just to the the whole cultural fight in general, not only in education, but in, in the news media and in entertainment. I think, you know, the left realized early on that, that as, as Andrew Breitbart was fond of saying, politics flows downstream from culture. So they, they, they took over the culture and the right is only. Yeah, I, I, was la- I, I was laughing, Mark. I was about to bring up Breitbart's comment and he did not originate that, but he certainly popularized it and God bless him for it. And, and it's so true. And the left realizes that the culture does lead politics. And that's why, as you say, they're heavily involved in education and in the media and God knows in social media. And, uh, you know, and, and we, you know, and I, I, you know, the, the right is, I don't know, we're too trusting, we're too busy right raising families, but um, we're behind. And we need to catch up in a hurry. One of the purposes of higher education is to pass down to the next generation and then the generation after that the, the incredible cultural and intellectual heritage of our civilization, Western civilization. But wokeness in colleges now has resulted in a just a rabid anti-Westernism. Princeton, for example, which is probably considered the number one school in the nation or college in the nation, now considers the classics to be inherently white supremacist. And that's that's a pretty common attitude among our elite universities. I know this is kind of a big question, but what, if anything, can we do to reject that subversive uh, cultural self-loathing and reclaim an appreciation for and a pride in that uh, legacy? Well, I mean, I think parents, once again, it has to have to teach their children this and not send their kids to these schools um, because, I, you know, we can't wait for the schools to change. I, I can't say this enough. We can't wait for the school boards to change. And, and I don't know how they're going to get the message if we keep supporting them. Um, on a college level, there there is some good news. Uh, I was in touch with somebody at National uh, – uh, well, let's just – I don't want to name the group – you know, it's a prominent national group. And he told me in an email that not only are, are students not going to school in the same numbers, they're down, it's down about 10%, but um, that donations to schools are way off. And that only like very big institutional funders are funding schools now. And like the, the typical mom and dad funder or, you know, business funder is not funding colleges anymore. This could change. This could be a game changer too. If the, um, you know, if colleges start losing money, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's like any business, they're losing money. They're gonna have to change their uh, business plan. You know, for the first time in my lifetime, it seems like college is no longer the essential avenue to success in America that it used to be considered. And it seems like, uh, more and more people are thinking the same thing. As you mentioned, college attendance is down um, nearly 10%, I guess, since 2010. So that's a pretty dramatic 
drop in a short period of time. Um, and also, more and more companies now seem to be valuing skills and work experience over a college degree. And then trade and apprenticeship programs are booming. And when you factor in homeschooling and all the learning opportunities that the internet presents people, I have to ask, you know, is college even necessary anymore? Well, that's a, it's a great question. And for a lot of people, the answer is absolutely not. But uh, that said, some occupations still have degree requirements. I mean, if you're going to be a doctor, an engineer, you, uh, to the best of my knowledge, you have to go to college. And But if you're not going to into a field that requires you to go to college, don't go to college. And, and there are certain, obviously, uh, you know, if you're going into retail, you don't need a college degree. But there, and, but there are some fields like you know, technical fields uh, where, it, you know, it helps, but you don't have to. But, but as of late, companies like Google and IBM have reduced educational requirements for certain positions and shifted hiring to focus more on skills and experience. And, um, you know, just uh, Walmart, the country's largest private employer, values skills and knowledge gained through work experience. And I think it's 75 percent of its uh, salaried store management started their careers in hourly jobs. They never went to college. So to answer your question, it really depends on the field you're going into. As I say, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, unfortunately, I still think college is uh, the only way. Yeah, and that's all the more reason why the woke infiltration of medical school, medical schools, and legal schools, and uh, uh, the hard sciences is so damaging because you can't escape the wokeness, even in fields that seem um, like they would have nothing to do <laughs> with social justice or uh, equity. Uh, my, as I mentioned, I homeschool my kids. My oldest one is probably five to six years away from looking at college. But as things stand now, I, I would actively discourage her from attending. And I used to be, I mean, there was a point in my life where I was looking at being a college professor. I, I was in love with academia and I would have recommended college to everybody and not just for professional uh, career reasons, but just for reasons of uh, uh, personal growth and, and uh, cultural literacy and things like that. But at, at this point, I would actively discourage anyone I know from entering college unless, as you mentioned, they absolutely had to. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. As I said, one of the uh, fields I mentioned before, yes, but if not, why? Because they're not going to be learning much of what you send them for, but they will be learning a lot of things that you, you didn't send them for. Um, it, it, one thing I discovered recently that in liberal arts colleges, 40% of students identify as LGBTQ. 40%. And it's even if certain really liberal colleges like Wellesley and Smith, uh, Wellesley is 61 and Smith is 70, 70%. Now, clearly not all these students are gay, but this is the zeitgeist and, and students just fall for this crap, frankly. It's, and it's, it's nauseating. I mean, in 2012, I think three and a half percent of the population said they're gay. And then as years have gone on, a few more did, but, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's so, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it, it's almost funny. If it, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. And clearly, these are just people following the style. They're not really. Okay. Yes. Well, we've reached the point culturally now where it is um, 
mandatory to celebrate, uh, you know, your announcement of, of a new gender identity, that it's just uh, it, you're treated like a hero for coming out as anything but what they would call cis-heteronormative, um, which is quite, quite a mouthful. But um, yeah, the, the culture is really, it's really promoting that sort of gender confusion and starting it as early as pre-K, as I keep mentioning, that they, they, they get the children as young as they possibly can and instill in them this kind of gender confusion and a rejection of biological reality. Um, because, uh, you know, if you can get the students as young as possible, those malleable young minds will, uh, you know, are, are pretty easily shaped the way you want them to, to be. Uh, let's talk. Yeah, no, you're absolutely Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I just want to say about, and, and, you know, of the of the 40% of who identify as gay, undoubtedly some are, as you say, confused. But I think a large part of these um, students are just doing it because it's sort of like the hip thing to do. It's the hip and groovy, uh, you know, 2020s thing to do. And, you know, oh, yeah, I'm gay, sure. Yeah, it's kind of the new rebellion, I suppose, you know, the rebellion against uh, societal norms and against your parents' values and things like that. And it's... Uh, uh, you know, if you're a normal, <laughs> if you're a quote unquote normal kid uh, from a normal traditional background, uh, you're going to feel pretty left out, if not um, totally ostracized in college. And who, you know, who wants that? Sure. You know, I mean, kids are certainly prone to, you know, fads and styles. And uh, and this is, a, you know, you know, just sort of used to be hula hoops and uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and Nerf bulls, and, and now it's being homosexual. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing and crying here. Let's talk a little bit about teachers' unions. Um, just before Christmas on PBS NewsHour, the New York Times columnist David Brooks, who is ostensibly one of their couple of in-house conservatives, argued that the teachers' unions deserved lumps of coal for Christmas for what he called the increases in inequality, the harm to social mobility, and the harm to the lifelong prospects of a whole generation of young people caused by the unions and their school closures during the pandemic. So teachers' unions seem to have a death grip on our educational system. How are they contributing to the decline of education in America? And how can we break their power or even can we? How many hours do we have for this? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I, a lump of coal is being too generous, frankly. They deserve a lot worse than that. But I, I mean, I mean, just to look the big picture, they have tenure in California, for example, two years, you have a job for life. You cannot be fired. I mean, they're, they're, on average, there may be 10 teachers a year in California, hundreds of thousands of teachers. If you 300,000 teachers, 10 lose their job. Eight of them are criminals. The other two are incompetents. These are for p teachers who've had a job for two years. What other field has this? There's no other field that has this. Typically, you do a job, you keep your job, you get a raise. You don't do your job, you're out the door. Not, not if you're a teacher. Seniority, you can have a... a 20-year teacher who's a horrible teacher, can't lose their job, and a, a new teacher taught for one year, but the students love him and, he, and he's wonderful. But if uh, fiscal times get tough and you have to lay somebody off, that one-year wonderful teacher is going to lose their job and the 20-year terrible teacher is going to keep their job. 
the dismissal statutes are hideous. I mean, you have to go through such hoops that when I was teaching, I mean, there was really bad teachers in my school. My principal didn't even, wouldn't even bother. It's just too much, too time consuming, too expensive. They just, principal just sort of try to minimize it by shoving the teacher off into a minor role in the school. But um, the, I mean, this is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg and, and they, and, and, and they hold teachers hostage by, and well, until recently, a teacher had to pay money to a union. In 2018, uh, the Janus decision said, you don't have to pay, uh, you don't have to pay union dues. But what that trial did not discover, or did, did not include rather, is that teachers are still forced to be part of the collective bargaining unit. So if I'm a teacher in Los Angeles and I don't want to be in the union, I they still represent me. Now they complain, oh gee, you know you're a free rider. We don't want to, you know, we have to represent you. Well, the only reason you have to represent me is because you demand monopoly bargaining rights, and collective bargaining is really monopoly bargaining. So and and this needs to go. If I'm a wonderful teacher, I don't want to be part of the teacher union contract where I get raises for each year for basically not dying over the summer and taking some a horrible uh, professional development class, which won't do anything for me or my kids. I want to be able to negotiate my own contract and I might make more, I might make less, but at least it'll be my contract. Okay. But you can't do this. No teachers unions won't let you do that. It's got to be done collectively. And what about, what do you think about Randy Weingarten, who is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, which I guess is the largest teachers union, um, she seems to be a real radical political firebrand and seems to be driving a lot of the, the left-leaning political nature of, uh, of the teachers' unions. Would that be your uh, assessment also? Well, okay, just a minor correction. Actually, the, she's president of the American Federation of Teachers, which is number two. Uh, NEA is number one, National Education Association. Uh, but it's interesting. Uh, I mean, the both unions run way far to the left. Uh, the, the difference is that Randy has a huge mouth and you can't shut her up. She's in social media constantly. She's giving press conferences constantly. And she is, I mean, I hate to say it, she's basically a buffoon. She She's so wrong about so many issues and she makes so many mistakes. I mean, just one thing she did, you know, she, 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 denies that critical race theory is taught in schools. Oh, this is, you know, there, you know, vast, you shouldn't say vast right-wing conspiracy, but that was, you know, hidden behind the words. And at the same time, at a huge conference, she invited Ibram X. Kendi to talk, who is the CRT numero uno big mouth in the country. So on the one hand, she's saying CRT, oh, it's not taught in our schools. Then she's inviting this guy to talk to her teachers. I mean, Hello? <laughs> and 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 as I say, both unions are terrible. I, I mean, it was recently, according to the most recent uh, numbers, the um, National Education Association um, spent twi- more than twice as much money on politics as in representation, representing their um, teachers. And guess how much goes to Democrats? Ninety-nine point zero five percent of NEA spending goes to Democrats and 0.95, less than 1% goes to Republicans. And, and this is, you know, this is typical.
I mean, other year maybe it was 98 or, you know, something like that, but it's almost all one way. And, and I should add that even when they give money to a Republican, it's only because there might be two Republicans running against each other and they'll give money to the least, let's say the most liberal Republican. Oh, gosh. Is, is there any hope? You know, I like to ask my I like to ask my guests, uh, you know, a, a question about optimism and pessimism. And considering the uphill battle that we are facing in terms of, of turning education around in this country, is there? Do you think there's any hope that we can reverse this damage that's been done to education after more than a half century of leftist mismanagement, uh, intentional mismanagement? You know, I saw a, a speech given by Newt Gingrich a few years ago, at the end of which a questioner asked him uh, what we could do to take back education in this country, and his immediate response was, "Oh, it's gone. We can't take it back." And his suggestion was to create a, a kind of a parallel educational system. And I hear that a lot from my guests about creating a parallel culture, a parallel entertainment industry, a, a parallel news media. And so is that what conservatives are going to have to look to these days is creating a parallel educational system as opposed to trying to take back the one that exists? Well, pretty, pretty much. Let me just say uh, um, that I'm, I'm what's called an abolitionist. I don't think the government should be involved in education, period. We, we, we had more literacy when parents, we were all homeschooled, basically, uh, you know, going back to about 1830. Uh, and I also don't think that public employee unions should be legal. They, they, they weren't. And, and, and even uh, liberal icon FDR thought that it was a ridiculous idea. But whatever, they're here. And, the, and the, the, I guess, and my point is that we're not going to get the government out of schools. I mean, certainly not in my lifetime or your lifetime and probably your kid's lifetime. And the unions aren't going to go away either. So the best thing I think that parents can do is, as I've been saying, we both agree, is to homeschool, be part of a micro school. Uh, second choice is wherever we can have school choice. The, the, um you know, I think 30 some odd states have a private option. We here in California aren't close to it. We probably never will have that because we're so liberal here. Uh, but, you know, but there are even, I mean, the slightly good news, there are liberals who are on, on board with school choice. And once you have choice, you have competition. And as I said before, competition rises all boats. And, and this is where the hope comes in that if the public schools start losing market share to private schools, home schools, what, what have you, that might straighten their act up. But if, if they're not threatened, why should they change? You know, if you have a business model that's bringing in money, which public schools do in larger and larger sums every year, and especially with all the COVID money, it's ridiculous. Um, they're not going to change. So let, you know, Gingrich is right in the sense we, we need to do as much as we can outside the system, which will help obviously those people, but it will also, or it should be, it will shake up the establishment. And, and then that's how the change will, will, will happen or could happen. Uh, I think there's a saying about the dumbing down of education once government got involved. And it, it goes something like this, that, uh, a hundred years ago, or whatever the time frame was, we taught Greek and Latin to high school students, and now college students are learning remedial English. 
<laughs> I love that. That's quite apropos. I have not heard that. And, and yeah, that, that's, and it's true. I mean, it, it's sad, it's funny, and more importantly, it's 100% accurate. Larry, where should people go online to keep up with you? Okay, well, I write regularly for something called Front Page Magazine, which I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, occasionally, City Journal. Um, I have a I blog at a place called For Kids in Country, and my nonprofit is the California Teachers Empowerment Network, which I created to get information to teachers because teachers get information typically from that union or the school district, and it's usually if not almost always biased. So we just try to get teachers, you know, fair, unbiased information. That said, once again, when I write, uh, I'm quite uh, opinionated, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. And uh, anyway, c10home.org or Front Page Mag or City Journal um, and for Kids and Country. Those are the places that I can be found. And and what about the nonprofit? Uh, what uh, what's the website for that? Uh, C10home.org. Uh, Charles Thomas Edward Norman Home, the place where you live. dot org. Org. Larry Sand, thanks for sharing your insights with us here today at the Right Take Podcast. Please keep up the good work, and keep up the strong opinions, and come back soon. Thank you, Mark. A pleasure being with you. Appreciate it. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.